Hey, I don't want to step on anyone's toes, but I want to bring some pastoral guidance today. Uh, I really appreciate the heart of this church that we, uh, you know, we can go to some of the tougher issues and we can talk openly. Um, and whether they're tougher Bible issues or even tougher social issues, I don't think we've ever, we've ever held back or drawn back. Um, and we find ourselves in a really interesting time, don't we, in a world uh, that is so media-saturated, media-heavy, and, uh, and for many of us, it's not all of us, I recognise that, but for many of us, you know, the, the constant... We get most of our news through our social media. We, we have this constant feed. We have a constant annoyance. Come, I just got a new uh, app for my email and my old app didn't have a notice so I turned the notifications off for when I got an email but I haven't worked out how to do that yet and some 12 year old will probably do it for me immediately after this service but um, uh, it just annoys the heck out of me. It's just like you know you wanted, you wanted, you wanted, you wanted. There's information coming continuously. Um, So I want to speak into maybe a little bit of our society at the moment, some interesting things that are happening. I want to pose this question first, though, and that is, why are arguments so hard to win? Think about it. Why are, you know, how often have you ever won an argument, ever, really? I mean, outside of marriage, I know every wife is sitting there like... (laughs) Arguments are hard to win. I haven't won one for nearly 29 years. And uh, <laughs> I think I might be cooking lunch today. Uh, but it's, it's uh, you know, the fact is it's really hard. And in any place, not just marriage, but, but anywhere in life, it's hard to win an argument. And I think that's generally because arguments, it's really hard not to have a conflicting opinion where pride doesn't get in, involved. You know, arguments, when you, when you actually decide to engage an argument, it's generally already pushing your buttons. And very quickly, I think uh, both sides of the argument, if you're not careful, really quickly, you're not actually interested in where you started. You're not interested in truth. You're actually just interested in winning. Not that that's ever happened in our marriage. <laughs> Uh, I'm not speaking about marriage, by the way. It's just a brilliant context for this. I love the story of the husband that said to his wife, <laughs> Golly, I hope this isn't us. Uh, but he, the, the, the husband says to his wife, Honey, I've noticed like, when I get really angry with you and I, you know, I, I, I get vocal and I, I sort of berate you and I, you know, I, I say things that I probably don't mean but they're harsh and... But I've noticed you, just, you never get upset. You never bear resentment. You never walk away carrying stuff. And how is that? How do you do that? And she said, well, I just go clean the toilet. And he said, how does that help? She said, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> and this is the thing with arguments. You know, even when you, even when you think you've won it, often you really haven't. You know, you might have won a verbal debate in one sense, but have you actually changed a person's mind? Most likely not, you know. There's some version of toilet cleaning going on, even if it's only 
uh, in their head. Just because someone doesn't have a good comeback doesn't mean you've convinced them to think differently. And I don't know, it's human nature to cross swords a little bit. Not for all of us, but for many of us. And I think the internet has empowered that incredibly. Uh, Because, you know, it's probably safer to do it from your lounge room than face to face. Well, it feels that way. And the fact is, you know, some people in life are gifted to argue. They are gifted to argue it. They're, They're articulate. They are thick-skinned. They actually might even revel in it. I mean, who'd be a politician? Here's a question. You know, I mean, uh, who would be a politician? With the sledging and the accusation and the insinuation and the constant bombardment. Like, I take my hat off to people who will step in that arena and stand up for, you know, for what they believe is, is right and a way forward. And man, but you can have it. I don't want anything to do with that. That is not me. But I do recognise that that is some people. And often they're able to engage in that sphere because they are articulate. They are, you know, they read into their subjects. They can articulate their argument. You know, it's sadly, a lot of the time, it's not about truth. It is just about getting a point of view across, but they're very, very good at that. And, uh, but it's certainly, it's certainly not me, and I suggest it's not most of us. You know, if you're one of those people who born to argue, well, good on you, and, uh, and go and use it for God's glory. But I, I do tend to think that that's not the bulk and, and yet, with this social media phenomenon, it, it's amazing how many everyday Christians who aren't particularly gifted to be in that arena find themselves in that arena. And, and I think I want to speak into that a little bit today. You guys okay? Still love me? I tried to get a really funny joke so that you'd love me for the next 35 minutes. I want to read Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, and, uh, and then, then verses 4 and 5, but... Story about Jesus, and he entered the synagogue again, which, you know, was a gathering place after the children of Israel were carried away, away captive and whatnot. They dispersed their worship and their teaching into these little things. They're basically churches. Some of them had four pulpits, and, uh, and the rabbis would debate one another while the people sat on the floor. And so Jesus enters this synagogue, and, he was a man, and there was a man there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, step forward. So there's this guy with this crippled hand. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? See, they weren't meant to work. And uh, and if he was going to heal this guy, it would be seen like almost like a work of God. So... There was a blurred line there. So Jesus poses this question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath, on God's day, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill it? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, 
being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And the story pretty well ends there. I want to speak to us today. The topic of my message is don't argue, just do good. Don't argue, just do good. Here's my first thought. A hardened heart will struggle to acknowledge truth no matter how obvious truth is. Is it right to do good on God's day? (laughs) Now, you're not going to find a simpler question to answer than that. I mean, he's saying this to the religious leaders. You know, they had the... The scripture, they had the Pentateuch, they had the Torah, they had first five books of Moses, they had the Genesis story. And God creates time, then creates everything in time, and everything is good. And then Jesus singles out what is the best day of the week? God's day of rest, and says, Well, in the context of good, 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 good. Is it okay to do good on a good day? And they can't answer it. And he gets angry because of the hardness of their hearts. Because of the fact that their predisposed concepts, their predisposed, the decisions they'd made, their predisposed beliefs, it wouldn't matter if truth bit their nose off. They were not about to accept it, let alone acknowledge it. They wouldn't even engage. And fact is, uh, they didn't want to argue him and And Jesus didn't argue them. Jesus didn't. He just went ahead and did good. Brought healing. (laughs) He showed his faith by his works rather than by an angry placard or a social media post. Which begs the question, why do we often feel compelled to go where Jesus didn't? And again, if you are called to the public arena, called to debate, you are a researcher, you are articulate, and for goodness sake, I hope you've got some decent theology, then I empower you. God bless you. Uh, But don't make the rest of Christianity feel like they have to get on board with you. To be standing up for Jesus. Because Jesus can defend himself. The church has defended itself for 2,000 years. Last I looked, it's still absolutely thriving, including in our nation, in spite of some of the crazy social shifts that have happened in recent years. So I think we need to think about this as thinking people, as Christian people. Here's the second thought. Don't give energy to be to sorry, don't give energy to a broken conscience when there is 
real need to be met. You know, Paul talks about this, that if you, if you know what is good but you keep going against it, you will eventually sear your conscience with a hot iron. The whole thought is that the conscience, the, the hu- our co- human awareness of right and wrong and guilt and shame, and that it's like a sponge. And if you took a, a, a plastic sponge, a rubber sponge, you know, a, whatever they make them out of, a synthetic sponge, but if you, if you stuck that on a barbecue plate... It would melt it into hardened plastic, a hardened crust that therefore could not absorb anything. Paul says that some that, having strayed from the truth and just continuing down that path, they've seared their consciences with a hot iron. In other words, they could not absorb truth. It wouldn't matter what you did. They're incapable of absorbing truth. And I'm saying don't don't waste your time on a broken conscience while a very real human need is presenting itself. Trying to fix the unfixable when often there are things we can do at our hands that are good and that would bring more glory to God. Now the fact is Jesus did at times take people on verbally without a doubt. He took the Pharisees, the scribes on Interestingly, all within the context of the church. The conversation he has with Pilate. Well, he doesn't really enter into an argument with him. They say you're the son of... They say you're a king. He could have defended himself. He could have done a big exposition. The only people Jesus really argued with was within the context of the faith community or those who pretended to be in the faith community. Um, And I think we've got to to stop and think about this. Uh, So Jesus takes them on verbally, but here is a clear example of him understanding the futility of trying to teach the unteachable. Perhaps the difference is that here... He could simply do good right in front of him. Uh, So that's the road that he took. But you know, for us, when you have to argue with someone, and I'm going to pick some emotive topics from our our community, you know, and and I guess public debate, but if you have to argue with someone that a human fetus is human, maybe you're speaking to a hardened heart. Maybe you're speaking to someone who is not interested in the truth if it bit their nose off. When you have to explain that boys are boys and girls are girls, maybe you're talking to a hardened heart and it doesn't matter what you're going to say and it doesn't matter how true it is. You're not necessarily going to change their opinion but I tell you you will confirm their opinion that the church is hateful if you try when you have a society that witnesses the social damage of pornography and violence but refuses to take a stand on policing the internet and entertainment industries maybe you're speaking to a hardened heart maybe you're looking at people that do not want to know a better way. 
And therefore, no matter how much argument goes on, it might not change. Now, I'm not saying these things shouldn't be debated. I'm not saying these things aren't real agendas in our society that we need to you know, take a stand. I'm not saying all that. But I will say to you, individual Christian, are you called to do that? Are you that articulate, gifted one? Or are you just damaging friendships, damaging relationships and saying dumb things that go right across the world because you've entered into a sphere that you are ill-prepared for? It's just a thought. Sometimes you may need to argue. Sometimes you may be, be, have to defend your faith, literally. But you know what? I've noticed a lot of the time, you just need to do good. So I want to release you from the pressure of fighting battles. You're, you might not actually personally be called to fight. And I know I'm worried about our society too. But when Jesus stood in Caesarea... At the gates of hell, literally, at a, a rock wall with a crevice in it where the goat god Pan was worshipped and men had sex with goats in public and said to his disciples, the gates of hell will not stand, I will build my church. I'm not sure society's that dark just yet in Australia. And yet Jesus had absolute confidence and he didn't run off to Herod's palace and complain about what he was allowing to happen in the Holy Land. As a matter of fact, he pointed to 11 men at the end of his life and said, Father, here are the ones you've given me. There's the fruit of my life. I didn't make major political change. I didn't make major social change. I just changed the lives of three people in a way that is irreversible. And I have absolute confidence that over the next 2,000 years, there's certain people in Toowoomba that will find themselves in church on Sunday morning, June 30th, because my plan was enough. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? He was angry, here's the last thought. He was angry, but he stayed on mission. Ephesians 4 verse 26. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. (laughs) Have you ever wondered about that one? Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Be angry. (laughs) You ever struggled with that one, Tim? I know you have, mate, because you're honest and you're looking at me and I'm looking at you and we both have struggled with that one. Be angry and do not sin. Well, here, Jesus is actually displaying it. His anger, can we put it this way? His righteous anger, his sense of justice didn't actually move him to debate, it moved him to do something that met a real human need. Which is probably starting to go under the whole Jewish concept of the kingdom, that, that, that heaven is not just somewhere away somewhere that we're going to go to in the future, up in the sky, but, but it's a place where the will of God is done on earth and where shalom peace reigns. And he just brought a little bit of shalom to a guy with a withered hand 
instead of being caught up in a public debate. You know, some things should make us angry. They really should. They made Jesus angry. As a matter of fact, if injustice, abuse, exploitation of another human being, if that doesn't make you mad, then something has died inside of you that you need to recover. Interestingly, the, the, the word for sin that we understand as sin, it's a Greek word, hamatia. And um, it simply means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. And it's not even like a religious moral term. It, it's actually an archer that shoots at a target and the arrow just doesn't get there. It falls short. That's why Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the whole thought in the word. It means to fall short. And, uh, and the fact is that applies to mission as much as it does to moral issues. So we, we worry about the moral stuff, whether I do the wrong thing, fall short of the mark in that way. But what about just missing what Jesus wants you to do? Is that falling short as well? That sometimes while we're so busy being angry and pushing back, we're not just doing some of the things that are right in front of us. That we could actually actively be sinning while we're busy. I don't know. You fill in the blanks. Um, I think I'm pretty good at articulating myself without putting tags on myself. I think I'm pretty good at articulating myself. But I often feel powerless. I really do when it comes to the social debate. Um, I'm not intimidated because I can hold my own in an argument even though I defer lovingly to my wife. But sometimes I'm just... You know, I feel powerless or I'm just too weary. It just wears me out. Um, and I've, I've noticed in ministry that that tells me that that's not actually my grace zone. And, and I guess I've, I've got to work out that what's my grace zone and what's not and to move in my grace zone. And I guess that's all I'm saying to you today. When you feel obligated, when you feel pushed, when you feel like, I need to wave the Christian flag, just make sure you're in your grace zone or it's probably going to come out wrong and do nothing but damage. You could ask a certain professional athlete that right now. And I've got no doubt Israel Folau's heart is brilliant. He's an amazing young man, amazing young athlete. I've, I've got no doubt about that. Um, but I, I think I need... I'm just going to mention that as maybe a point in case that is, that is what's happening right now. And the fact is, even though I feel powerless, I feel out of my grace zone, I'm also absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced, that the church should be known for what it stands for, not for what it stands against. Our community has known the church for that for too long. Oh, they're the ones who are against this, and they don't believe in this, and they don't believe in that. They don't believe in sex before marriage. Well, I'd rather be known for wanting young people to build quality lives and marriages that last for 50 or 70 years. 
That's what I'm trying to do. I, I want to be known for what we do believe in, yeah. not necessarily for what, what we don't. Um, you know, the religious falau thing, the, the religious freedom thing is a real issue. But I do fundamentally disagree with his approach for a couple of reasons. Um, I think it's discompassionate to summarise someone's life journey at a certain point in time with a few words and then make an eternal judgement. People's personal situations are far more complex than that and they deserve more. That's not very fair. And the other one is basic Bible hermeneutics which is studying scripture within its context. And, And one of the first rules of hermeneutics is who was this said to? What situation? And so we, you know, for Paul writing to the church, and he even expressly says, I want my letters read in the churches. (laughs) Speaking to Christian leadership so they can lead their people is the hermeneutical context of comments that now have been posted on social media out of context out from the original hearers, no hermeneutical explanation and dropped like a truth bomb. Yeah, for Jesus. It's like, oh my goodness. I wonder if Paul ever in his prophetic, incredible prophetic ability ever foresaw Instagram and his words going to secular kings and princes of nations Without context, without, without accountability, without anything on it, I wonder if Paul ever would have foreseen that. I doubt it. I really do. Uh, I'm not saying it's, it's just as true as it ever was. It's a, hermeneutical context says that's why we talk about it in church, as redeemed people. And the moment Christianity tries to put its stamp on a secular society and make it be a Christian nation, there has never been such a thing. There's never been such a thing. And anything that ever looked like a Christian nation persecuted every minority in it. So don't look at the Muslims. Jesus' whole idea was the kingdom of God is within you. You won't go there. Don't go there. When they say go there, there it is, there it is. It's not even in Jerusalem anymore. That's what he was saying to the Jews. It's within you. And God's plan has always been one precious life at a time. Changed from the inside out, not external pressure. I'm so sorry for upsetting Bubby. That was my fault. She's got every right to be upset. Every right. But God's way has always been to touch the individual heart. That's why Jesus could stand with 11 men. And he didn't didn't say, Father, remember the miracles. Remember I walked on water. Remember I fed 8,000. Remember I raised the dead. Remember I opened the eyes of the blind. He said, none of that. He said, the fruit of my ministry, great high priestly prayer, John 15 through 17. The fruit of my life, the sum total is 11 men. And here we sit 2,000 years later because it wasn't a bad plan. And then we get caught up in the emotion of the moment and decide to be keyboard warriors 
digital vigilantes, whatever. I'm not saying there's not people who can speak into that space. I know a few of them. That's why I keep my mouth shut. Because they're good at what they do and they know how to contextualise. I feel sorry for Israel Falau, actually, or any high-level high Christian in the public space. Man, that's a difficult space to be in. So he's trying to juggle the fishbowl, and it's an angry fishbowl. I feel sorry for him and others like him. And, you know, one half of me wants to see Rugby Australia and their bullying corporate sponsors slam-flipping dunked. And the other half of me thinks of all these kids who've grown up in a code of sport that are totally innocent of all this stuff that if they're successful it will just change the pattern and the course of their lives. Some of them who've been training and in this for five or six years and are rising to elite levels in the sport and their whole worlds would be turned upside down by it and it would be a tragedy if at that point the church was cheering. You know, there's a lot of injustice out there. There's a lot of wrong things, a lot of wrong thinking, a lot of stuff to disagree with. But at the end of the day, for most of us, not all of us, again, if you're called to that, God bless you. But for most of us, maybe we just need to do good. Maybe we would find our grace zone there. Maybe some of the family relationships wouldn't be fractured. Maybe some of our work space relationships, the very bridges we want to bring the gospel across, instead of dynamiting them over issues that are unwinnable. Think about this. The, the devil's strategy is distraction. What did he offer Eve? He offered her a distraction. They were given wonderful, beautiful destiny. They were in the grace zone. And the devil rattled something that was shiny and unwinnable. You could be like God. She was taken off purpose, out of destiny. A train wreck. And, and I just think for some of us, hey, cool it. You know, if you've been feeling the pressure, how do I respond to this? And, you know, and there will be times where you do need to respond. Maybe there, there will be times when people come straight at you. And you do need to give a defence of your faith. You need to be ready for that. Just be careful what realm you do that in. Are you okay? I hope you guys still love me. I'm going to finish with just some questions. I know I'm, I'm sort of pushing time a bit, but I'm going to finish with a couple of questions. Before I do, just the religious freedom thing. It's a real issue. It really is. But I've just got to say, by far, and I mean, I don't know the figures, but I know it's, it's massively. By far, most Christians in the world who love Jesus the way we do are living in nations with they don't even know what religious freedom means. In 98, I remember going through the Maluku Islands on the floor of a taxi most of the time because if the Muslim cartel there had seen a white Christian preacher I would have been in the news for sure for all the wrong reasons you talk to Christians in Indonesia 
who live in the Maluku Islands. You talk to some of the people we've visited in southern Mindanao in the Philippines. You talk to Christians from the Sudan in Africa. And you could just go on and name it again and again and again. China, you just keep naming it. I think they'd find it ironic that we're kicking and squealing over these things. I'm not saying they're not worthy to be fought for, but hey, honestly, for the average Christian, love Jesus and do good. I can't help thinking how some of those Christians in the poorest of circumstances, if they even have the ability to access Facebook and if... The, the, the fighting fund for Israel ever got that far and they got the news I can't help them thinking what two million Australian dollars would do to change the world in their part of the world yes. Yes. and again I'm not speaking against it I'm just saying can we please contextualise all this yeah. if we just draw breath settle, settle down Number one, realise God's still in God's still in control. Here's some questions for us. And please, I've spoken this way this morning to set us free, not to. It's not a rebuke. It's a, hey, come on. Some of us, we're out of the grace zone, and we feel it, and our families feel it, and our friendships feel it, and our workmates or colleagues that they they're feeling it. I'm encouraging you back to the grace zone. Here's some questions we could ask ourselves. Uh, current injustice issues, what I really believe I'm called to, which is awesome if you are. Or am I just reaching, reacting, sorry, am I just reacting in a well-meaning but potentially clumsy way? Or I could put it this way, am I a true activist in the right sense of the word or just a keyboard warrior? question for us all to ask are we quicker to argue about beliefs or to practice them in practical ways simply by doing good do you think Jesus could have won the argument with the Pharisees that day do you think he could have turned them in knots and he could have chewed them up spat them out made them look like total idiots but he chose to do good When we are upset by injustice, does that anger translate into meeting the needs that are created by that injustice? Or are we just reacting to the challenge to what we hold dear personally? The last thought, are you determined to change the minds of people you usually have little relationship with by argument or change the minds of those you do have contact with by kindness. So, you know, I've got to say it again. If you believe you're called to engage in the social spectrum with solid research and articulate arguments, God bless you. We need you. You're a champion. Uh, if you feel empowered to or you feel called to empower those who, who are that way, then that is cool. But never be distracted. Never lose focus on real 
people with real needs, with real hurts, with real dreams, with real fears, who God has put at your fingertips. I hope that's brought some pastoral direction. And I understand you might not agree with me. You might feel like the world is sliding out of control. That's why John wrote the book of Revelation to a church that was suffering at the hands of the Roman Emperor Domitian. Because it seemed like the world was sliding out of control. The Romans bringing pigs into the temple and sacrificing them on the altar. And you get the book of Revelation out of it. And that was 2,000 years ago, pretty well. 90 AD. And on last checking, the church is still doing pretty okay. So let's just get on with the business of loving Jesus and doing good. Meeting needs with real people at our fingertips people who know us, people that if we do need to share our faith, if we do need to be challenging, say something difficult, then they can see in our eyes the love and concern we have rather than being relegated to a few pixels on a page. Can I just pray for us today? And uh, why don't we stand together as I do? Uh, Father, help us. Help us balance this crazy life it's a wonderful adventure, but it's, it's also pressure and, and there's so many opinions, there's so many arguments, there's so many points of view. Help us be true to your word, true to ourselves and respectful of others who are made in your image, even if they don't believe what we believe. Help us to balance all that, Father with love and kindness. Help us wherever we are, whatever, I pray for every person here, whatever sphere of influence you've placed them in, in family units, in, on workshop floors, in, in offices, in classrooms, in, uh, in, in mums groups, in whatever sphere of influence you've placed them, Father, I pray that we would be motivated, moved by injustice, angered by things that are wrong, And that that internal frustration would move us to do good. To do good. And to bring healing in Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed, our our eyes are closed. Uh, you, You might be here today and maybe, you know, the whole Christian thing and the whole church thing, it might not totally be, be your thing. And I pray today that, um, I, I pray somehow you've, I've been able to bring a little bit of context to some of the crazy stuff that's out there that sometimes the church is not having its best day. It doesn't look as good as it really should. Um, I hope that's brought some context. I, I think I've shared the heart of Jesus today. Um, and all I'd say to you is that, you know, Jesus' kindness, what he extended to that man that day and, and did good and brought healing. It's exactly what he wants to do in every one of our lives. He's already done it in the lives of many people in this place. But you know, if if you're 
on a journey and you wouldn't say that's your experience, I haven't really encountered Jesus in a life-changing way yet, then I want to give you an opportunity just right now to encounter him. We're going to put a very simple prayer up on the, on the screen. Uh, it's a prayer that basically just welcomes Jesus into our life and we all pray it together every week. It's, it's a pretty good prayer to pray, but it's a powerful prayer if it's the first time you've ever prayed it and really opened your heart to Jesus. So maybe you've been on a journey and you'd say, you know what, Chris, this morning, uh, I want God to do something good in my life. I want to open my heart. I want to let Jesus come into my life and do something good. If he's interested in doing good, in spite of all the confusion, in spite of all the arguments, if the bottom line is that God wants to do me good, then that's what I want. So while every head's bowed, every eye's closed, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now, friend, right where you are? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to just pray with you. But if that's you, just slip your hand straight in the air real quick. I'm not going to hang around here long, but I always give people the opportunity to respond this way. Awesome. That is fantastic. God bless you. You can put your hand down again. Others in this place that you just feel, that's me. God, I want God to do good. If, if that's the God that you serve, then he sounds good to me. I'm just going to look across one more time. Fantastic to see people responding. That's great. That's awesome. Okay, why don't we uh, look to the screen, all of us together, and, you know, if you've responded today, whether I didn't, even if I didn't see your hand, just simply make this your own prayer. Uh, pray it authentically, and, and God will touch you. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life. And I'll follow you. Amen. 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 Well, you know what? I had intended that message to be much shorter. Uh, but it's probably a difficult one to do too short. But can we go out of here praising God? Could we do that? Okay. But just before we do, Pastor Sue's going to let you know something.